0: And welcome to the Friday, March 6th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, did Iowa miss the boat on Biden? Democrats outnumber Republicans in Iowa for the first time in a while. And chatting with Iowa's Senate candidates. Hello, everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Aaron. We have Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning.
0: And also Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And as a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. First up this week, Joe Biden's Super Super Tuesday, and what it says about Iowa's first-in-the-nation, parentheses, for now caucuses. Bolstered by a dominant showing in South Carolina that coaxed fellow moderate candidates Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar out of the race, Biden enjoyed a spectacular Super Tuesday, taking the delegate lead and turning the nomination into a two-candidate race between himself and Bernie Sanders. So the no-malarkey bus has a full tank of gas again after the former vice president had poor showings in the first three states, including Iowa where he finished a slow fourth in the caucuses here behind Buttigieg Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so, Todd, my first question goes to you this morning. Why was Iowa so down on Joe Biden? What, what did South Carolina and Super Tuesday voters see in Biden that Iowa Democrats did not?
1: Well, you know, we were, we were down on Biden, although it wasn't for lack of exposure. I mean, he's run for president three times. He's been in Iowa a lot. So it's possible that this is a Joe Biden thing here, than not maybe an Iowa thing that we, that we know him too well and <laughs> didn't, I guess, didn't like what we know. So, uh, but you know, and, and also with the South Carolina, you know, it's with South Carolina. There's, of course, you know, he's he's pulled well all along with black voters uh, for multiple reasons. One of which is that he was a, you know, obviously Barack Obama's vice president. They were. Uh, they were close, you know. as As it's been said many times, Joe had Barack's back on a lot of issues, and I think you know that's that's appealing to to black voters, who made up a, a, a pretty large segment of the primary electorate in South Carolina, which which obviously propelled him, propelled Joe Biden to a to a you know a really impressive victory. That then sort of the dominoes fell, and and some of the moderates got out of the race and endorsed him, and then Super Tuesday happened. So, uh, but. You know, and, you know, you could also argue that Biden didn't necessarily campaign quite as hard here as he might have in the past. And, and other candidates, Pete Buttigieg in particular, campaigned very hard here, spent lots of time here, met a lot of voters, you know, spoke to a lot of groups. And I think, you know, Iowans like that attention, as as, as has been said many times in the past.
0: Yeah, that's a really good – I hadn't considered that, and that's a really good point you raised at the end here. Um, I mean, Biden certainly campaigned in Iowa, but maybe not quite as heavy as um, uh, a couple of the people who finished in front of him, including Buttigieg, who you mentioned, and Warren was a relentless campaigner here. So that's a really good point. Um, uh, Todd, I'm going to stick with you here. One of the criticisms of Iowa's first-in-the-nation status is that the demographics here do not reflect the country as a whole. And you touched on this a little bit in your answer, so let's explore that a little more. Um, Just putting it more bluntly, Iowa is too white. Uh, So while Iowans can defend themselves by pointing to minority candidates who have fared well here, they cannot, and obviously by what we saw this past week, project for the country how black voters, one of the Democratic Party's most important bloc, will vote. So if, let's say Biden wins the nomination. Is, is is Todd? Is that yet another strike against Iowa's leadoff role? As if critics needed another one of those. Um, and and let's include New Hampshire in this um, as well. Uh, let's let not let them off the hook either. Biden finished even worse there in fifth.
1: Yeah, I mean
0: that's. It, it are, is a... are, are, I, I'm sorry. I guess it's just. I guess my the, to pare down the question is, is 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 I are Iowa and New Hampshire not reflective of the Democratic Party?
1: Uh, No. I mean, that's a a fair criticism. Iowa is too white. I mean, as far as electoral demographics for the Democratic Party, I mean, that's been a knock on the caucuses for a long time. But, you know, now, with all the other factors that are sort of other knocks on the caucuses that we've seen, and on caucuses in general, yeah, that's going to be one of the big factors. If the Democratic Party goes a different direction with their nominating process, Iowa's overwhelmingly white demographics are going to be a really, a really big reason to do it. And, uh, also if Joe Biden's in the white house, he's, I don't think he's going to raise an objection to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's another case for what, what uh, and I've talked about this before, one of the more interesting, um, potential solutions that I've heard mentioned is just grouping all the early four States and having them go on one day. And, and, um, uh, you know, maybe if Iowa finds their backs to the walls in New Hampshire as well, maybe that's the solution they find amenable. You, you lump South Carolina in with them and the other states, and, and that, that solves that issue. It'll be interesting. Um, I, I wanted to talk about this. Looking at the race in general, it, it it amazed me that after all we went through here in Iowa, more than two dozen candidates who ran at one point or another, at least 14 months of campaigns, and it's probably a little more than that. and at this point, we're down to two candidates that essentially put us right back to where we started, with Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders at the top. Um, so, Brett and Amy, given everything you guys covered and saw over the campus caucus campaign, I'm curious to hear you reflect on all that. Again, given everything we saw, after everything we went through here in Iowa, does it surprise you that after all that, we wound up with the same two people who started in the lead spot? all
2: that time ago at the very start Uh, let's start with you brett i mean absolutely yes yeah i mean there's been of course so i guess it was um, at the beginning of the week it was amy klobuchar and then just yesterday i guess a day after or two days after the um after the super tuesday then elizabeth warren dropped out and um i i've just (laughs) seen so much over the last 24 hours especially about elizabeth warren being the i guess the last domino to to fall amongst the major women, women candidates. Um, just a lot of, a lot of heart rending, I guess. And, and it's all people I spoke with in person and then all over social media, all kinds of posts of, of women lamenting the fact of, um, especially Warren dropping out. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I think back to for us here in Sioux city, the 2019 year for campaigning kicked off, um, Elizabeth Warren was the first one. I think it was like the 3rd or 4th of, of, of January. And uh, her first event was at the Orpheum Theater here, and she had about 500 people, and they were very engaged and very... Um, it was a good back and forth, a lot of questions, the way she she always held her town halls, and, and that held true through all of Elizabeth Warren's stops in Sioux City. Uh, big crowds, and, and people really, really, really liked, liked her. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's if it's a pacifying type thing to to think that well certainly or most likely a, a woman would be uh, you know one of the these uh, democratic candidates uh who is a woman would might you know would likely be the vice president that you know me drawn from Amy Klobuchar or, or um, Warren herself or perhaps Kamala Harris you know that that uh the vice President could could be one of those one of those three or, or maybe other another woman um you know that might be a pacifying type element here as 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 people are heartbroken about about you know. Two coming down to two guys, but then also I, <laughs> I know some women. Also, I, this is something I've seen as well. The 2018, when Democrats took back, had their wave year and took back control of the House. That was you know, heavily dominated by by women candidates and in the support of women voters. And you know, and is is just a, a vice presidential spot good enough? You know, I, the, the <laughs> I understand all those concerns. It, it's it's very real, and that's being said a lot.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, interesting stuff. But a- a- Amy Amy to you too. Uh, I mean the the polling averages in March of uh, a year ago had uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders way ahead of the field and after everything we went through between then and now here we are still again. Was it <laughs> did any of it matter?
3: You know, I suppose not. I I mean, you know, for a while there it seemed Buttigieg might have had an opportunity to pass Biden. Um, And, you know, Warren had an even briefer opportunity, I would argue, to take off with Sanders voters um, right up until the Medicare for All stumble. But, uh, you know, no, I'll agree with Brett. I'm not surprised to see, once again, two old white guys at the top of the nominated ticket. I mean, all the women that we're talking about, um, and and we're saying that was because that is really probably one of the closest it's gotten in a long time to to really uh, 2016 aside. You know, it's it's pretty standard and pretty out of, um, you know, women that have followed women candidates, which is not all women, obviously, but but it just to them come so close and then just not be able to really take it is, is pretty depressing, I think. Um, but, you know, honestly, now going forward, I think the only way to prevent massive, you know, yawning and eye rolling in general. They both better think about an exciting vice president on the ticket or go stun everyone and combine.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> All right. Put, put plenty of time to t- talk about that as the, the campaign goes along. Uh, um, um, moving on here, the, those first in the nation caucuses have a lot of ancillary impact, and one of them can be on state voter registration. And it would appear that Iowa Democrats, who had the only truly competitive caucus this cycle with an incumbent Republican president, have reaped a benefit. They overtook Iowa Republicans in voter registration for the first time since 2014. According to the official numbers from the Iowa Secretary of State, for March, first month after the caucuses, there were 642,900 active registered Democrats in Iowa and 628,000 active registered Republicans. This is Democrats' first voter registration lead in the state since April of 2014. So Todd, that also happened, speaking of April 2014, that was right before Republicans went on a two election tear in in 2014 and 2016 that shifted the state in a heavily GOP direction. Could the Democrats retaking the voter registration lead in the state be a signal that they are poised no. for similar electoral success here, starting in 2020?
1: Well, I don't know that I would. I would predict a wave like we saw in 2010 or 2014 and 16 for Republicans in the state. I think we may be sort of recalibrating back closer to kind of the maybe the purpler state status that we were before 2016. Uh, you know, I, I, it's reflective of probably there were, you know, a fair number of independents, maybe some Republicans, uh, maybe some new voters who wanted to caucus. They were, you know, interested in this caucus cycle because of all the candidates and maybe because of, of Donald Trump. And so that that explains some of the gain. Now, what where those voters will go in November, if if maybe they were, you know, backing candidates that didn't end up doing so well and, and didn't back the candidates, you know, the candidate that wins the nomination, will they – will they stay in the Democratic camp or will they look, you know, look elsewhere? But uh, it's it's good news for Democrats, obviously, to have a surge of voter registration. And as they look at, you know, probably in Iowa, you, you've got a U.S. Senate race. I think that's still an uphill climb for them. But the I think, you know, capturing the Iowa House maybe is there, could be one of their, their bigger objectives, you know, as a state party. So that That sort of registration edge, depending on where they gained voters, could could help them with that. If it's all in urban areas, maybe it doesn't. But I mean, that's uh, it's a a trend in the right direction for them, obviously, which they were going in the wrong direction. So, yeah, that's got to be good news for them.
0: All right. And it'll be interesting, as you noted, so many of those folks were signed up for the caucuses. it be interesting to watch those numbers throughout the summer and into the fall as we get closer to the general election to see if those people are, um, you know, if, they, if they're able to boost those numbers even more. Um, moving on. This week, a former Iowa man was sentenced to probation after he threw water on Congressman Steve King at a restaurant about a year ago. But the judge had an interesting perspective on the probation sentence, which was the result of a plea bargain. Uh, Brett, this happened up in your neck of the woods. Tell us a little more about all
2: that. Right. And this was a court case that just happened yesterday on Thursday up here in Sioux City. And um, again, yeah, the where it happened wasn't in Sioux City. Um, the man threw water at on Steve King at a restaurant um, in Fort Dodge Um Uh, last spring, as you said, and uh, they had agreed to a a plea deal uh, when they went to to court yesterday um, that that the uh, guy would just get two years of probation. And the judge immediately um, began the thought process of basically, is, is that enough of a of a sentence even though it was agreed to by both sides. Um and what the what it could have been was six months in prison um uh, for throwing water on the congressman um would be have been the max. And um basically the judge said, you know, is this a deterrent? This is you know, this was a pretty vile um act that, that the, the this man did and the man was in his twenties I guess and he now lives in Colorado. But um um yeah, police came that day and, and arrested Arrested him, and you know, obviously, uh, King pressed charges, and and he wasn't injured, but but um, he he had said um, that it, it affected how he feels when he's in public, or at least the 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 person speaking on his behalf yesterday said that um, as part of the plea agreement, and ultimately the judge said uh, after a lot of I guess weighing and went 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 with the probation and and that's what's what's happened with with this so um steve king was not there in court um we tried to get a, a statement from him yesterday and and that wasn't forthcoming i looked on twitter this morning he also hasn't spoken on this yet so don't have a lot of public comment on on his stance of uh, of this verdict
0: and, and it was interesting to me brett that the judge um as you said kind of struggled with it and agreed to to the probation, but he, had made some comments about how he he wondered if that wasn't uh strong enough and and whether it was enough to deter someone right um from from doing something similar
2: right yeah you know I can't in, in my years of covering I can't think of any anything more this like this, that has happened to uh, you know a sitting congressman, and, and I don't know if, if Todd has any recollections or Amy has recollections of this happening elsewhere. And you know, I don't know that it's necessarily going to probation is then going to oh we only get probation and we're going to you know not, you know <laughs> here we go <laughs> you know, I don't think anything like that's going to happen. But you know, it was a very curious case, you know, a very something you don't see happen. And um, I guess now we have the, the legal resolution to to what what happened. Yeah, yeah, very
0: interesting. All right. Finally, this week, uh, Brett and Amy each had recent interviews with a couple of the lesser-known Democrats running in Iowa's U.S. Senate primary race. Uh, Amy, let's start with you. You talked to Cal Woods, a contractor from Mount Vernon, who said his campaign will prior prioritize addressing climate change and healthcare. Um, Not one of the candidates with as much name ID, maybe as some of the others in the race. So, Amy, tell us a little bit more about cal and you talk with him
3: sure so cal is a navy vet he grew up in a hog farm in mount vernon as you say and he's worked as a newspaper and television reporter and he he told me he's mainly running because he didn't see a quote sense of urgency and passion from the other democrats running and he's most passionate about climate change um he calls the climate crisis is you know the most important crisis of our time. Um, In that way, he sort of is really appealing to the younger voters, I think, who are also calling the climate crisis their most important issue. So that's really interesting. Um, He calls himself a convert to the cause. He was a previous uh, climate change skeptic who um, was pushed to do more research and did and and came around. Um, So that could explain it. I mean, nobody's as passionate as the newly converted, as they say. Um, He also wants to add accessibility (laughs) to the Affordable Care Act. And he prefers the public option, though, interestingly, he would not be opposed to um, other more radical options like a single-payer system, Medicare for All type of thing, but only if it's politically tenable. So he'll basically, um, if if the will is there, you know, if the Sanders coalition goes in and they're like, we're going to do single-payer and Cal Woods is swept into the Senate, he has said he would totally go for that because it just opens up accessibility. So we'll see if those stances help him gain in the polls.
0: All right. Thanks, Amy. And Brett, uh, you recently interviewed Michael Franken, another military veteran in the race. uh, And he's from right in your backyard up there in Sioux City. Tell us about Mr. Franken.
2: Right. Yeah, and, and he's a Sioux County native, um, also from up here in Northwest Iowa, very Republican area, and it, it's rare to have a Democrat that hails from that <laughs> from that background. But um, yes, and and he, and I guess Cal is, you know, more known as being a media person, but but uh, Franken was is a was a full time um, lifetime military veteran. He was he was a retired three star. Admiral, he retired about a year or so ago and moved to Sioux City. When he, when he retired, and he um, puts himself as basically the Democratic version of Joni Ernst, of, of having all of the the kind of Iowa bona fides that she has, and and he says, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the Democrat who basically is the mirror image of, of Joni Ernst. He's, he's a farm kid. He went to public schools. Um, He served in the military as as Joni Ernst did. And, and, you know, he feels like that's a very compelling um, resume or, or, you know, life's journey to, um, to get here. That, that essentially is very similar to to Joni Ernst and, and that's not present in the other, the other, Candidates and and he you know Teresa Greenfield is the person that has the most money and she has all the support of the of the national Democrats and and he he thought that was you know very premature. And she got if if we recall she got uh, Greenfield got a very early endorsement from from those national groups uh, even as the race was was filling there. I mean all the candidates hadn't even joined and Franken was a, a later I think he was a late summer early fall add to the field. So he's he was also very. I guess derogatory of of the national um, organizations, national democratic organizations, trying to I guess anoint a candidate so early in the field, and and he you know he's basically saying what I'm doing now is trying to kind of cut through that you know, through through the fundraising lead that Greenfield has, and you know meeting people and making myself known, and you know I mean that his uh, that background was you know, when, when said for a Republican of, of Joni Ernst, that was very compelling for people to come to her to, you know, to, you know, she moved out of that huge field to, to get the nomination and, you know, whether it remains to be seen, whether he can cut through all that and, you know, make a similar path for himself.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Todd, let me bring you back in real quick, uh, put you on the spot here cause we didn't plan on this, but to, to put a, to put a button on this um, one, uh, I'm just curious. G- give me your thoughts on uh, what Brett was talking about there. And as we talk about Cal Woods and Michael Franken, um, obviously Teresa Greenfield's gotten a lot of endorsements. The, the national party's behind her. Um, Eddie Morrow is a little different because he can uh, support his own uh, campaign. But for these other car- candidates like Cal Woods, Michael Franken, Kimberly Graham, do they, do they have a chance in this primary? I mean, does, does, does all that stuff, you know, that the voters still ultimately have to speak, um, can can one of those other ones break through, or or does all of this early endorsing and fundraising really uh, tilt the scales towards uh, Teresa Greenfield?
1: Well, I, yeah, I think Greenfield is is the favorite because of all that support. She's got TV ads up. I mean, I I think I've seen seen them in the last few days. Uh, I guess among those other candidates, I think Franken is an interesting candidate because of his background. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was an admiral, obviously, and I think he held a fairly high post in the Pentagon during the the run up to the Gulf War, uh, the Second Gulf War, and uh, has a lot of interesting things to say about, you know, foreign policy and and you know with, in in a in an election where, perhaps with the coronavirus and other things that were, you know, candidates may be running on. Somewhat on competence and leadership experience, he becomes an interesting candidate in a race that that sort of you know addresses those issues you know if 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 it gets into those issues so I would say of the of the non teresa greenfield candidates, I guess for lack of a better label, he's probably <laughs> because of his background he's probably the most interesting potential alternative, although you know kimberly graham is 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 out there campaigning fairly vigorously. And, uh, uh, you know, Eddie Morrow ran for Congress and sort of has kind of seamlessly gone into a Senate campaign now. So, uh, but yeah, I, I see Franken as sort of a candidate that maybe voters might be willing to take a look at before they make a final decision because of kind of the impressive bra- background and knowledge that he brings to the race.
0: Yeah. All right. And, you know, with the, the, the caucuses have eaten up a lot of the air in that primary, but the, the the, the, the election isn't until June 2nd, so that still gives us three months to discuss that race on future episodes of this podcast. So still plenty of time to talk about the Democratic primary, and you can bet we will. But that's it for this week's edition of On Iowa Politics. Thank you to everyone for listening. We hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And fan mail may be sent to Politics at gmail.com as a reminder, you can find our work each week on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mesa City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will play us out this week. If you know a talented band or IO musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. Or Brett, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Steven, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you all for listening. Like to welcome you to the show, Mike Hand Recordings crew, running things around here. Just act like you knew what and perfect. It started with the microphone in my right hand, and evolved into an indie label called Mike Hand Recordings. Recording from Cedar Rapids, ate inner city jump skipping, I hop from the highway. That's where I stayed before the days of the flood, before the city was covered in muck and everybody's stuff littered the streets i'm speaking literally we had six feet of water in the kitchen at least but that's enough on that subject because it'll get me upset and i don't think you want to see a grown man cry in the city of five seasons even more smells it ain't hard to tell people around here are am bored as hell getting sight for saturdays when they're super fresh small place big dreams on the road to success mike and the crew the Cause collective Midwest indigenous MCs, respected from near to far here. We revere the art taking charge of the hip hop scene so we can raise the bar. They're faking hard. We keep it really, really real acting like you don't know. Catch my nippy little spiel moving swiftly on your heels. But the fact is I'm laughing you because of your half-stepping attitude. Melodramatic fools who never had a clue. Chuckle with a bad excuse for real. With You're down with them, I
1: see. and D, get down with that I see. and D, get down with them, I see. throw your hands in the air and come along with me. get down
0: with that I see. get down with them, I see. AJ and down with MIC
1: I see. throw the your hands in the air and sing along with me. Uh. Yeah.
0: My hand, check it out, y'all. Cedar Rapids stands up. Hip-hop right under your nose. Keep me on MySpace. I'm old school. I don't fuck with that Facebook shit. Peace out. Perfect.